Greetings of uh, the communities of faith that are in South Central Tennessee. That's where I was last week in the first part of this week and uh, holding a meeting there. And uh, before God gave us the opportunity to serve here in Montgomery, we were in the area of Henderson, Tennessee. And uh, I uh, preached for six years at the congregation, about 220 at Bethel Springs. And, uh, but uh, I wasn't holding the meeting there, but a congregation nearby. And there were at least six congregations, seven every night that were represented. It was great to reacquaint myself, and I was greatly encouraged by their interest in the topic. And uh, it's always great to uh, leave home, and it's great to come back. I'm excited about our mission Sunday this Sunday. I hope you are too. Don't take it for granted. There's already a significant portion of the over a million dollar budget of this congregation goes to missions. This is, we always want to see if. Even more is desired by this congregation. Do we want to do more than that? And uh, so I'm, I'm thrilled that Matt Cook is coming down from that area. We, uh, we have been involved with the Peru mission work. He was there for uh, quite a while, uh, brought back only because of an emergency of the health of his daughter. But Matt teaches up there in a Christian university, and uh, I'm glad he's going to be here. You're going to be inspired by him. In that regards, um, those 15 to 20 that have passports and that have um, blocked out the last part of July, this Wednesday night after services, those wanting to go with me to campaigns to Sicily and uh, to northern Italy, please see me Sunday night right after services. Uh, but again, you have to have a passport already and you have to have those days blocked out from uh, the 20th of July till uh, the end of that month. And we'd love to take you with us. If not this year, then next year. Okay, and uh, in Ukraine in the fall, that's another possibility, and, and others that will be offered to you. You may not know John Mayer, but uh, this was the title of one of his uh, major hits about eight years ago. I'm a pretend guitarist, and so I'm always, I uh, love guitar players, and uh, he's a guitar player and a songwriter and an uh, accomplished musician. I am not speak, taking my lesson from his lyrics. His lyrics have to do with a relationship between a man and a woman. Mine have nothing to do with that. I'm stealing his title. So I'm just telling you on the front end. Say what you need to say. Say what you need to say. The a different translation of the verse that was just read for us a minute ago of Proverbs 19 verse 22 says, What is desirable in a man is his kindness. Kindness. That's really what the lesson's about. Say what you need to say. Make it kind. That's where I'm going in my thoughts this morning. This week in the news, there was this item. From the website, there was an opinion piece by a lawyer in Washington. And he and his two brothers had experienced the loss of a solid recently. There's his picture. It's right there. And I was, I was struck by it. You see, a lot of news is very, very down, very destructive, uh, it's uh, not always positive. And so you look, you search, I hope you do too, for those items where the media um, celebrates something good and something positive. Here's one. His name is Joshua Rogers. Again, he's a lawyer in Washington. And the title of his piece was, I couldn't believe these were the fa my father's final words to me. The word that caught me was final words because in the last uh, three or four weeks I've twice had reason to investigate the final words of various people and uh, so it hit me and that's why I read it. And I've got only segments of the article here but um, his father has passed away, passed away recently and, uh, 
And he looks back on the times when they had conversations and towards the latter part of his days. I cannot count the number of times I heard Dad, and he wrote it with a capital D, lavish affirmation on us. And it wasn't just, I love you, either. He often said things like, I love you so much, I don't know where you stop and I begin. Those kind of statements from a grown man are just precious. They're just precious. So I read on in the article. And it said that they had tried to tell him as he didn't want to go to the doctors, was tired of going to regular checkups, and, and he started, uh, his breathing got worse, his heart was the problem. Uh, and so one time, both he and his brother called him to say, you've got to go get your heart checked out by the doctor. And his next paragraph is what he says in relation to that. Through labored breaths, he agreed to go to the hospital and then said, Four unforgettable words to us. You are my beautiful soldiers, he said to his two sons, grown men, lawyers in Washington. We were grateful, he says, as we talked on the phone afterwards, my my brother and I, for the four words that he managed to say that day on the phone. Those words just stuck. You are my beautiful soldiers. Two days after their father died, he happened to get a, a book, a notebook that his aunt gave him, and what he found inside, he says, just left me flabbergasted. And so this is the conclusion of this little pin, small opinion piece, so positive that leads me to say, wow, I wish that more um, spoke this way, not just to their sons, but to everybody. This is what he said to his sons in that notebook. So those last four words they heard before he died were not you're my beautiful soldiers they are the following above all I praise and thank a loving God who hasn't and never will forget about me or you you will never lose your significance to the Lord those are the last words of Joshua Rogers father and that was a marvelous marvelous reading and it encouraged me but it stood and stark contrast to other things that had popped up in the news that week. And I bring you three here just to make note that this is against, it's not the standard. It's not the standard. And what I put as a title of this slide is don't say what you're advised to say nowadays. It's staggering. What kind of advice in supposed reputable magazines under the name of science and, you know, studies what they will advise smart thinking people. Like for example, what I put underneath as a subtitle is, it's just coarse, it's crude, it's brutal language that assaults the values that we have. And that is being advocated, not only used in movies and songs, et cetera, but also advocated as good for your health. Are you kidding me? So the U.S. News and World Report of just a few days ago by a writer, staff writer by the name of Alexa Lardieri. Uh, by the way, this, this title was under, this article was under the tag of stress. I understand that. Health, what? Exercise, uh, really? And fitness. She writes in those categories, and this is her advice. She's not original, I found out. But that's even more tragic, the fact she's not original. The study is cursing is the most common way Americans deal with frustration. So that was a duh moment. Yes, we hear it more than I ever have in life. I don't know about you, but I hear it everywhere. It's just like not only accepted, but it's required for you to get anywhere. 
to use words, you know, I, I think back when I was a teenager in a foreign land and my high school friends would ask me, you know, curse words in English. And I'd say, no, I don't want to teach you curse words in English. By the way, by now they know them all. My friends that grew up because they, they've heard them in songs and in movies and everything else. I thought, no, why would I? Why do I, I don't. I know them. I don't want to use them. And I'm not going to teach them. No, no. The study found that most Americans start cursing before lunch. It gave such, it said about 10.42 in the morning, we'd already done it. Okay, then it said that most actually do it before breakfast. Wow, the day and life's got to be downhill from there. You know, and it went on to say 52%, 48%, and I could give you all of those staggering numbers, but you get it. It's just a... Uh, most Americans start cursing before 1042. Really? My stars. And as if that weren't enough, I just Googled that topic and boom, there was another one. She wasn't original, Miss Lardieri. In the NBC News, under that category, again, watch this, of wellness, the better section. This is to be better of their website. It says, when cursing is good for your health. Wow. When cursing is good for your health. You need to start cursing more so you'll be more healthy. I thought, wow, who's buying this? What rational person is thinking that this is a better world? Better under the category of better. So they gave, you know, in a scientific fashion, point number one, point number two, it helps with pain management, so it helps with your pain. If you can just expletives, you know, from time to time when you're feeling pain or hurt or whatever. It releases stress. It can help you express yourself. I think our comedians have got that one down. Express yourself. Makes you appear more honest and authentic, really. When everybody feels like they have to throw in a certain number of F words to be authentic, then that doesn't make them authentic anymore. What it makes them is, I don't know what word to use. Makes them foul. They're not authentic. They're following the crowd. They're following this kind of advice. They must have read this article. It's good for your health. Wow. And of course, I kept going. New York Times, last July, under the category smarter living, again, better health. Stories to help you understand the world and make the most of it. This is how you're supposed to make the most of it. And it gave again the case for cursing. There's your writer, Kristen Wong, and here's what I came out with this. Well, obviously, Miss Kristen Wong curses a lot, and obviously, Mrs. Lardieri curses a lot, and probably the people in her environment at the New York Times and NBC News, although on, on, on camera they're not supposed to, but evidently in the background they do it, and sometimes those mics get left on, don't they? And our politicians and our musicians and and there you go. And I, I thought to myself, no, 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 no. What kind of intelligent creatures buy this, you know? Oh, no. You see, where I had been recently was in the last words of a man on a cross. And I would think that's a pretty stressful situation. I would think that if you had to be angry at humanity, well, this would, this would count. You're innocent and you've been put on a cross after being beaten to death. And these are the final words, not curse words. These are the final words 
of a man that died on the cross. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Woman, this is your son, this is your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see, I had been focusing on meaningful final words like that one of that father of Mr. Rogers. And I thought, what kind of advice says that these are not the way you express yourself or you bless people? What kind of advice makes a front page on these days? Recently this week, I was studying from 2 Timothy, and these are the dying words. These are the important words. These are the final words of another man that was dying, was in a prison cell in Rome about to be decapitated on the third mile marker of the Austrian Way. His name was Paul of Tarsus, and he doesn't fill it with expletives. He fills it with words for a dear young man called Timothy. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering at the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the face. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And then there's that tenderness of do your best to come to me quickly. I think I'm about out of time. And then he concludes with the Lord be with your spirit. And then a blessing. Blessing, not cursing. Grace be with you. What a contrast. What a contrast. So just a couple minutes in praise of kindness. And I start with the Old Testament. There is a, a Hebrew word, hesud, but the major Greek word, if you look it up in a Greek, Greek word study, is krestotes. It's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it's used a lot in the Old Testament, the word for kindness, as opposed to cursing, as opposed to rudeness and crudeness and foulness. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a contrasting value that, that is placed before you and I as, no, 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 don't go there. The word Christotes originally had to do with that which is useful or effective. Let's get this straight. Not only is it not good for your health, it's sacrilegious. It's bad for your health. To listen to them, to adopt them, to somehow think there's an environment in which they might be appropriate, okay, or good for us. No, no, no. Kindness, crestotes, reverberates throughout the Bible. If that's your guide then it has a different philosophy from the one of our time. In the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, the word krestotes was actually used to exemplify something very dear, very precious, something you don't want to lose, something you want to hang on to, something you want to store in your heart. It was employed for precious stones or for fine gold. It, kindness applied to stones or gold. It's something you want. It's something you want in your soul. And it's called kindness, gentleness. The word truly is a catch-all sometimes. 
It can encompass a lot of other things. That's why I started a list that, that you, can, you can complete. It encompasses other traits, such as be honest, tell the truth. You don't need to end your statements with an expletive to make sure people know you're telling the truth. Just tell the truth. You don't need to. Friendliness. Yeah, what kind of, what kind of friend teaches cursing? What kind of friend puts up with it? Why would I want to stay around it? Lovingness, goodness, generosity, compassion, benevolence. You see, it's not just a word and not just an attitude. It spills out into all kinds of other Christian godly virtues. Kindness applied to the tongue, first and foremost. But it comes out of the heart, as Jesus says, right? That which comes out of your mouth comes out of your heart. So it's not just a set of words. It's attitudes, and it's an attitude towards life and God and Scripture. It's not just a few words. It's more than that. When man creates gods, he makes them not to be kind. I'm not surprised. We make gods like we are. And yes, we are not the first generation to use, dare I say, even celebrate, Cursing, we're not. The pagans were good at it too. And they met up gods. And the, their gods were not kind. There was not a single god of the Greek pantheon, the Roman pantheon, the time of Christ, time of Paul, that was kind. Not one. They had favorite human beings, but none of them had the trait of kindness. By way of contrast, the God of the Bible is supremely kind. Not just kind of, sort of. Supremely, the psalmist, and I put it in a different translation, and praise you, Jehovah. Give thanks unto Jehovah. We sing a hymn based on this. For he is good, and the second part of the verse says, for his loving kindness endures forever. It's a forever quality, as it should be a forever quality of anybody that puts Christ in, in baptism. If we have a history, or if we have a habit, or if we have workmates or we have classmates we, we've got to do something to let them know can't stay around that can't do that because the process become more like Jesus more godly every day because we're going to sit at the dinner table of God for eternity you can't do that you can't be there it's not who we are you can't be part of our equation you can't be kind be kind Always, in all situations. It doesn't matter how much stress you're under. It's the opposite of being brutal, harsh, hurtful, uncaring, rude, crude, coarse. It's the opposite. But of course, sometimes to be able to do this or do it better, sometimes we need earthly models down here and you know I'd like to ask you right now if you can you think if I were to ask you what who's the kindest person that you've ever met I hope you've met dozens hundreds especially within the community of faith of Christians I hope but if I were to ask you in your opinion who's the kindest person when you when you saw them one time or multiple times you said they are the you thought to yourself they are the kindest person never not only a foul word but never an unkind word it's not just the words it's the attitude and the spirit that comes with it 
Who would it be? Think, please. Lindsay Warren would be one I would suggest. He passed away a few years ago. He's a professor at Fried Hardeman, and uh, he came from a great debater within our fellowship, Warren, Thomas B. Warren. He was his son. And I don't know how Thomas B. Warren is, except I read his debates, and he was fiery, and he was sharp, and he was amazing. His son was uh, at a PhD in communications, but that was the academics. But his spirit, his spirit was, he was just plump kind all the time, any day. Even when his wife started having Alzheimer's, talk about stress. Even when his, he couldn't quite teach anymore, so he lost his job. Because if you can't communicate and organize your thoughts, when he couldn't preach anymore, because he couldn't organize his thoughts, he started losing the appointments, losing the ability to be able. Even then, he did, was not bitter. He was never, never, never an unkind word. Oh, if, you, if you find one like that, Hang on to it, grab it, and say, that's it. That's it. That's the way you do it. You know, if a child asks, Mom, do we know anyone like that? You need to be able to say yes. Dad, do we know anybody like that? You need to be able to say yes and start the list of names. That's what we need to be able to do. The motivation for kindness. How do we learn this amazing blessing of a virtue, which it is. Anything that we want to be, model, yes, having human models is very helpful, but remember all the virtues, all the characteristics that are part of the the Christian list of virtues. They come from God. God doesn't just say be, God is. Jesus didn't just say, take up your cross, He went and took it. Mark chapter 8. God doesn't command. He sends his son to show us how to do it. John, the uh, gospel writer, will say in in, uh, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, you know why we love? It's because he loved us first. You know why you need to be kind and go against the grain like a salmon going upstream in this contemporary culture because God is kind to you and he's already done that proven it and you don't have to you don't have to worry about it and wonder about it his loving kindness lasts forever the fact that you and I did not deserve the blood of his son and yet he did it anyway is proof of that Jesus said motivation for kindness love your enemies do them good lend never despairing Your reward shall be great. You shall be sons of the Most High. For he is kind toward the unthankful and the evil. He is kind towards the evil. God postpones the return of his son so that those that are not saved, maybe you today, but saved may have a chance to come to him. and, And if you're going to, then you're going to have to work on that trait of kindness and yes, it may include cleaning out some, some, some skeletons in the closet and some cupboards that should have been. If we choose to emulate our God, we will choose to cultivate. Here are our list of words I started. and you can. We need to teach. 
We need to do it softly and gently with our work, those that work with us in a, you know, in a restaurant, in a, in a public setting. We don't want to come across like, like taking our faith like a two-by-four over the head of people that... We, I understand that, but we should not... We should be this way about... We should be never grow accustomed to it somehow. We should expect better, higher, loftier. We should enforce when we're in charge of a, a group or an occasion. When we're in charge, we should expect it. We just should say kindly, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. That's, that's, we should model, first of all. But, of course, we can't teach our children or young people not if they hear it from us. Some word that's not appropriate, not, not there. Paul says that the gift of Christ for human salvation, and this he does in the letter of Titus, and he mentions already in the letter of Ephesians, was an expression of divine kindness. Salvation, kindness. Salvation, kindness. Tied at the hip. You're kind if you're saved. They're tied. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. When the goodness... He saved us. That is coming, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I used to read that bird and just swing over uh, the, the, the passing mention of kindness at the end. No, no, not anymore. Kindness is there intentionally. Paul never just throws words in to sound good. It is this kindness. A kind heart leads us to repentance. It is kindness. Have a, a heart that is sensitive and not immune to the harshness of it. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? If at the invitation song in just a minute you come forward, it's because there's a sliver of your heart knows that God is, God sent his son, and God is a God of kindness, otherwise he would not let us in his presence. And you find a sliver in your heart, that kind of kindness. Same Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 1, verse 22, he uses the word Christotes in Greek. God's goodness, kindness is set in contrast on this occasion to the severity. God is a God of, of wrath. God is a God of, ju- of justice. God is a God of holiness. But he's also a God of kindness. The Roman Christians were urged to consider the goodness of God in that particular verse. They were also admonished in the same context to continue in, and yes, the, the church in Rome, in the capital of the empire, is told, continue in kindness, which is the equivalent, there's another thing you tie at the hip, with faith. Faith in Christ kindness salvation kindness they're tied at the hip and we are responsible we can't just say well that's the way I am or that's the way I've grown up or that's the way they talk at my work or my 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 school we can't say that those who neglect the creator what he wants because of their peers well We will suffer his wrath. It's not okay with God. 
it, it doesn't matter whether NBC or New York Times or some other person does. The Son of God exemplified kindness in his demeanor, not just in his teaching. He showed us. Remember these instances without taking time to go there. John 8. Everybody's ready to throw stones at a woman caught in adultery. That's what the Mosaic Law said. That was what was legal. And then there was the attitude of Christ, who did say, go and do no more. But he treated the woman with respect and told her, you're wrong. And he treated her with a kind of kindness that will turn people from sin. How did Jesus deal with Judas again? There's a couple of ways to read that kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas calls him rabbi, calls him teacher. But of course he sold him out for $4,000. And he goes up in the darkness and he kisses him. How does Jesus, he doesn't call him, you good for nothing, low down, traitor. What he says is, friend, really? You're going to kiss me too? That's as friendly as kind as you can get in that circumstance. He's selling off for a used price of a used car, the Son of God, and he knew it. He knew it. New Testament admonitions. Paul observes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4, those who possess love, they're kind. If you think you possess love, you got to show kindness. Kindness is one of the qualities that are part of that list in Galatians 5 that we teach our children to memorize, and hopefully we do too. Without that kindness, you don't have the full list. You're not the full Christian. It is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 6, demonstrated by the apostles. They weren't perfect, but they demonstrate kindness towards their enemies. They will lose their heads, they will be imprisoned, they will be, they will not rail. They will not use expletives because they're under stress. Read Acts chapter 4, 5, 6, 7. What you won't find is an account of them taking out the injustice of it all in that way. We're going to have to go counterculture. We're going to have to be different in this, especially this. It's easy to talk about kindness, do a lesson on it in a few minutes, and then we sing the invitation song and go to lunch. The question is, can I tweak, or more than that, my attitude, my language, as I walk out of here and just not go back anymore to the coarseness and to the unkindness that maybe I said was part of my personality or whatever? It's what we must do. We have to look for opportunities with the next-door neighbor, with the waiter, with the companion on a plane that's being loud and taking up more than his seat. <laughs> and wherever else you can imagine. We have to go counterculture. When we do, it's a noble tradition. Please know that in the early centuries, there was a Roman ruler by the name of Julian who did not like Christianity. Yet, at the same time, as he talks about it, he paid a glowing compliment to early Christians. And this is what he said. 4th century AD, as children are coaxed with cakes, so have these Christians enticed the poor to join them in kindness. So he knew about that trait. 
Strangers they have secured by hospitality. By affecting brotherly love, great moral purity, and honoring their dead, they have won the multitude. And by the way, a 17th century British historian by the name of Sir Edward Gibbon, when he wrote the history of Christianity, blamed Christianity for the collapse of the Roman Empire. But at the same time, as he makes a list of how on earth did this group of 120 Christians grow to be 35 million by the 4th century, he lists the following reasons. Well, they were zealous. They believed in heaven, a future life. They quoted and knew the stories of the miracles of Jesus. They were united. And they had a Christian morality that included being kind when the pagans did not learn that at all from their gods. We have to practice it in the home. We have to practice it with our spouses. Husbands and wives, we must. Parents, we must start Take it up a notch in our kindness, patience, long-suffering, and yet correction. They have to be modeled at the same time. Got to watch out what we use to tell people strongly. You know, if a child's about to walk out into, into a car, you got to yell, you got to grab, you got to do something. But once they become older, then, then you stop with the physical and you got to use words. But the, what kind of words will, be, will matter? Because they'll model whatever we use in our home. All it takes is one generation to do it right. And the next generation will know how to do it right. Some stories about maltreatments of parents. One I read this week. How they left them in their homes. And it's not just words. It's also reflects in attitudes. If you are likely to use these kind of words in front of your aged parents, then you're probably going to treat them in a way that's not. Not parent, true, true son or daughter-like. Proverbs 31 in that list of, of qualities of a godly woman mentions that godly quality. And it's not just of a woman, it's of mankind as a whole. One of the key elements is they rise up and call her blessed. They rise up and call her blessed. We've got to exercise in the church. We've got to be nice to each other. Even when we disagree, even when we are not on the same page, we were offended by something. How do we react? How do we do it? We have to practice becoming kinder to each other. Look at the question at the bottom. Since when has kindness been reduced to a sign of a weak person, a compromised person, somebody who doesn't have leadership qualities? Since when? Who's defining leadership here? The guy on the cross gets to define leadership. And I recall those seven sayings of his that we have recorded on the cross, and they're all extremely kind. Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I'm going to close. Seems to me that there's an appropriate image for this. You can't climb two mountains at the same time. You can't straddle a fence. You can't keep one leg in and one leg out, Terry. You can't. There's either Mount Ebal or there's Mount Gerizim. And in Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, as Moses is cluing out, he's not going to get to go into the promised land, but he's going to say to the people, you're going to need to, there's going to be curses on one side and blessings on the other. There's going to be a mountain that represents the curses. If you obey God, if you're like God, if you're kind like God, blessings upon you. If you are disobey God and follow the New York Times and U.S. News and World Report and their advice, well, you'll need to climb the other mountain, but you can't climb, climb both at the same time. You can't. You can't. It's physically impossible. You've got to decide which mountain you're going to climb. So I'm reprimanded and encouraged. Be nice. Invitation song is yours. If you're not in Christ, 
we beg you to listen to God's call on this day, beautiful day. He wants you to come home. If you're not in Christ, you need the prayers of the church. Let's stand and sing.